Welcome back to the No More Trauma podcast and to the episode. If you're not listening to me on SoundCloud or Apple iTunes, you can see me um, here on YouTube. So my name is Tanya. I am a trauma survivor, coach, trauma-informed yoga teacher, and wellness facilitator. So my mission is to offer a safe place for healing, inspiration, and mental health tips uh, for living a trauma-free lifestyle. So on and off the mat, (laughs) I like to, um, you know, hop on this podcast and talk about all things wellness. So welcome. It's, if it's your first time uh, tuning in, so excited uh, that you are here. So thank you. So today we have an interesting uh, topic. I'm really excited for this topic. And today we're going to be discussing trauma and nonverbal communication. Did you know trauma was also nonverbal? So Tanya, what is that? So have you ever heard the phrase, um, uh, let's see. So the phrase, the word I'm looking for, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Or if anything at all, you know, it's not what they said, it's what they didn't say and how someone may present themselves, right? So trauma can shift the way the brain process emotions physical experiences and nonverbal cues. It can also trigger the brain to search for safety, excuse me, when aroused due to previous childhood threats. So it's important to not only listen to your body, right? I've been hearing that a lot. A lot of people have said, oh, listen to your body, listen to the alarm systems in your Uh, in your body that's happening around people and in certain environments. That's, you know, I'm hearing that a lot now and it has some truth to it. Um, So when aroused due to previous childhood threats and, you know, again, when we listen to not only our body, the emotional dialogue that it's playing when it's within company of others, but it also communicate what it is that you're feeling for clarity to ensure you're not misinterpreting a nonverbal cue or characteristic to past related traumatic experiences. Okay. So how did we get here, right? How did we come to this topic? Um, I'm really speaking of me. Um, I'm actually really I really am excited to dive in today. Um, So recently, um, I was in therapy session explaining to my therapist my desire to, you know, self-examine the ways in which I communicate um, or feel, you know, presently in the company of others. Um, A little disclaimer, I am always, 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 almost to a fault, self-reflecting and looking at myself in in what ways that I can improve. Um, I think it has, it's, it's good and bad. (laughs) There can be some good to that, you know, where there's some one, some emotional intelligence and, you know, the ability to step outside of my ego and just look at myself in which ways that I can self-improve. And, 
also it can just be, I wouldn't say uh, insecurity, um, but it's just mm, I, sometimes you can self-sabotage because you're constantly reflecting so much. So if you're one of those, definitely um, start the conversation over in maybe I'd say the YouTube channel where you can leave comments or, you know, you can always, um, I'm sure, you, yeah, you can leave comments either also underneath these uh, podcasts. So if you're on SoundCloud, you can leave comments. I know in Apple, you cannot. So you can always stay in touch with me and we can start a, start a discussion. <laughs> so back on track here, um, just constantly self-reflecting and wanting to constantly improve um, who I am. And so what I haven't shared um, as of last year, I was reading a book, um, Assertiveness, Assertiveness for Earth Angels. I've shared in a latest in an earlier podcast, how I show up in terms of trauma and from my trauma response, that being of fawning. So like people pleasing and sometimes shutting down. So that can also look like um, uh, freezing. Um, and so sometimes I can silence and shut down, which isn't a healthy form of communication, especially if you're trying to resolve conflict. So I recognize that. Um, and so where am I going with all this? Yeah. So, <laughs> so in that space of, you know, just trying to be assertive and to make sure that I'm articulating myself. So she asked me if I felt safe enough to be in the present moment one, right. And if I felt the need to perform or dim my light. Okay. And so she also asked if the cues demonstrated by the individuals around me or whoever I am in company with, if those cues felt unsafe and that cue can be an unsafe stored memory. And if the brain was telling me that I couldn't be myself. Oh my goodness. This is just the intro and it's going to be so good today. <laughs> so lastly, if the nonverbal cues were related to how I was taught to respond to a previous trauma, the session is sparked not only on clarity for myself, but I wanted to share what I've learned and what I've been obsessing about because I am really, mm, uh, I'm gonna say it. I don't, oh, I'm gonna say it. I am obsessed with body language in the way that humans communicate without words. Ooh, okay. Probably because I, you know, I'm a feeler, so I can feel, I'm all in the feels, so I can always feel the emotions. And um, for me, what you, what you don't say can sometimes ring loud for me. So yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> so how the brain, so the first thing is, how does the brain store and compartmentalize trauma? So there's three parts of the brain, 
and you have your neocortex, which stores the thoughts, language, reasoning. This is your rational, uh, you know, the rational part of the brain, um, your imaginations and your consciousness. So that is the, you know, when we think of the brain, we think of that gray, white matter, fleshy part of the brain. And then we have the limbic system, which are the emotions, the memories, yes, the stored memories, habits, and decisions. And then we have the brain stem, okay? So if you think of the brain, so going back to where the memories and the emotions are stored, so it's that inner center of the brain, right? And so, and then the brain stem is the, I would like to call it the tail, right? That goes all the way down through the spine. So that brainstem and the cerebellum, um, this is where your trauma responses are at autopilot. So that this is how you respond, okay? So the trauma responses starts in the lizard brainstem, okay, um, with, the, with the fight, flight, freeze, bond, submit responses, and then the limbic brain holds the images you saw and the emotions you felt at the time of a trauma. So that's also where the nonverbal memories are stored. So right in that center there, right in that center is where that information, that memory is being stored. So Another thing that she had mentioned to me, I'm trying to think back. So that fleshy part of the brain, like when you're doing talk therapy, it's really like that gray matter and that gray, white, fleshy matter, right? And then when we start to do the, say the cognitive therapy, um, I believe she said EMDR work, right? Or like brain spotting, that's where it's going to be hidden in the limbic system. So right in the center, just kind of pulling out um, that information. So now that we know how the brain compartmentalizes trauma, so let's get into the juicy part, the nonverbal communication and characteristics. So Nonverbal. So first I want to disclose what nonverbal communication is. So nonverbal communication is the act of communicating without language, um, oral or written words. So this can, this, this can be forms of, um, uh, facial expressions. This can be, it can include, uh, gestures, eye movement, eye, or excuse me, eye contact, um, tone, tone of voice, how the, how the body and the brain processes uh, tone of voice. Uh, this can be touch, physical space, and, you know, your personal parameters, okay? Uh, and then your nonverbal cues are learned during your childhood. Um, and so it's then later developed as unconscious behavior when we become adults, right? We do it so long, it becomes, you know, second nature. It's a part of who we are, right? We don't even have to think about it. 
And so we begin to observe these cues. The reason why it's important, especially, you know, for survivors, and, you know, most importantly, is we begin to observe these cues to determine its authenticity, right? And affection, or to begin to notice if this is being used as a form of deception and manipulation, okay? So again, you know, just making sure that, you know, a part of our trauma recovery is learning, right? Learning from our mistakes and learning from our patterns, you know, the patterns that show up and then starting to decipher, you know, does this, does this feel good? You know, asking ourselves, does this feel good? Is my body recognizing something, right? So speaking of the body, um, to keep the body balanced, I always, I have been, again, another latest of my faves and obsessions is um, the Magic Mind Elixir. So Magic Mind is a two ounce elixir uh, that was created by uh, James Brashera. And so he created this elixir to balance the mind. And uh, it's something that you can take, you know, a, a simple a shot uh, that you can take. You don't have to replace like your morning coffee or your morning smoothie. You can actually take it alongside your normal, you know, uh, uh, drink that you have in the morning. I'm actually right now having something green, speaking of green, <laughs> but, um, magic mind is definitely one of my practice. As you know, I've been mentioning it for, you know, most re you know, all of my most recent episodes is, um, creating a practice and keeping the body and mind in balance. So, um, the, elixirs actually include some of my favorites like matcha and ashwagandha as well as honey. Uh, and if you like some of those things or you're looking for something to include into your morning practice, then I definitely, you know, recommend Magic Mind. So you can visit the website at magicmind.co forward slash N like Nancy, M like Mary, T like Tango, or No More Trauma. <laughs> so NMT. So you can use my code um, at uh, it's NMT40. So four zero to get a discount off of your subscription of either a box of 15 elixirs, or if you like to meal prep like myself and, you know, stay ahead of the game and get a box of 30 uh, elixirs. So again, that's magicmind.co forward slash N like no, M like more, T like trauma and use my code. I'll keep all of that information down below. So that way you are um, you have all of the information to pick you up some. So, uh, as far as the characteristics, the characteristics of what nonverbal cues look like, it can look like the facial expression of say shock or horizontal, you know, raised eyebrows. Um, it can also display anger right? 
either uh, squinched eyes or bulging eyes, a clenched jaw or a look of disgust, um, inflated nostrils, uh, and raising one side of the mouth. Eye contact, you know, someone, if you ever had that experience where someone's just staring you down. <laughs> and so it can either convey interest, both positive and negative energy. Okay. So you have to decipher, is this eye, con eye contact, you know, conveying hostility, dominance, or power? And then there are gestures. So the gestures, uh, it's important to really understand that first off, culturally, it can look different, right? So, you know, what can look as a, you know, a gentle gesture here in the United States, it can look different, say, you know, in the UK or say in, you know, in, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm Australia. Um, it can look, you know, different for, you know, individuals in the Middle East. So um, it's important to really, um, I wouldn't, you know, just understand that to, to, to not misinterpret is the word that I'm looking for. So hand gestures can be waving of the hand. It could be pointing fingers or it can be signaling. I knew for me growing up, it was, you know, my mother would say, you know, don't point. <laughs> Why are you pointing? Don't point over there. Um, and so, you know, that can, you know, be something of, you know, it can be, you know, insulting when someone's pointing. Um, and then I go to school and, you know, kids are pointing at each other and it's like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> um, so tone of voice, uh, pitch, inflection of the voice um pace listening being mindful of the cadence if it's high or low um and is there a sense of marrying are you marrying me um is there sarcasm um are there is there spaces in between your words and are you projecting aggression okay with the tone of the voice and so now we look at uh, body language, right? So body language can be shaking the foot, which can suggest irritation or anxiety, impatience. Crossing or folding the arms can convey power or disinterest. Touching the chin or the neck for appeasement, or it can be dishonesty. Right, someone not being, you know, honest or telling the truth, right, straightforward. And so turning the body away, right, or a way out, out of the conversation or out of your presence, right? So physical touch, this can be a warm hug, grabbing the arm. Um, it can be, you know, grabbing the neck or grabbing clothing um, or, you know, a condescending pat on the back or a pat on the head, or it can also convey uh, an affectionate touch. Then there's that physical space, right? Your personal space. Are you invading my personal space to translate power? And is it, are you invading my space to 
to intimidate me, um, to show aggression or interest or intimacy, right? So, you know, I, I know for individuals, you know, like myself, you know, with anxiety, um, you know, navigating that, that world of anxiety, it's important to, to really listen to the body to breathe, notice what you start to feel maybe in the chest, um, what you're feeling in the belly, right? And I want to really talk about like my personal experiences, you know, briefly here. So one of my personal experiences in the workplace is <clears throat> in the world of sales. Uh, I've been in sales, my goodness. Uh, I think, I think we're all in sales, honestly, you know, we're all selling, selling who we are and we're all entrepreneurs and, um, I think we're all, you know, salesmen in our own right. But what I would notice in that industry, uh, there wasn't personal space. And, and so I remember, you know, when I was in car sales, there was this idea if if I get you a deal, I, I first have to build trust and I want you to come closer. So I may lean in <laughs> as if I'm giving you a big deal or a discount, right? Um, you know, or it was complete silence and complete observing the client to be able to identify what it is that they needed. Okay. Uh, and so I was always leaned in or there was a long period of eye contact to make sure I was gathering information. Um, and so another experience of mine in the workplace as a server, so I used to um, serve at the uh, famous Chili's. And so uh, at Oh my goodness. I remember as I was working there, it was, it was so nerve wracking. <laughs> uh, Cause I worked at a really busy uh, location and uh, there was people in and out, in and out, in and out. And um, you know, uh, especially on the weekends, it would get really crowded. And during my training process, I remember uh, the, uh, general manager, he would say, if you see a, if you, if you, if your table is um, a, a party of a mother and children, or if there are children, you want to um, kneel, kneel at the table. Don't take the order standing over them because it presents a sense of dominance, right? And so to show that you are kind of submitting and that you were friendly is that you wanted to kneel down and allow yourself to, you know, feel almost vulnerable or personal, um, personable with the table and the guests, right? And so you want to open up this, this space of trust, you know, where, you know, tell me what you would like to build rapport before, you know, you know, you take the order. And, you know, at that point, you were, bound to supposedly have a good uh, relationship 
with this table. <laughs> and so you were uh, due to get a good tip, right? Or had, or they were to have a good experience, okay? So that was a nonverbal cue um, that I was taught in the workplace. Now, on the other side of that, so say, you know, uh, you know, growing up for me, um, for me, and I'll just kind of just be transparent here. One of my, uh, what my body was remembering for me, um, in, in some of my experiences is that as an adult, what it remembered is, um, say a shaking of the head. Right. And if someone shook their head at me, that meant to me, uh, a, a feeling of disgust or disapproval. The person didn't approve of me. And so, um, you know, or a clenching of a jaw, meaning that I had upset someone. And so I had, you know, that, that my unconsciously, my body has remembered that. So when I see someone who's shaking their head or clenching their jaw or raising their eyes, it immediately, my body sees it as danger, okay? Or a, or a moment where I cannot be myself, right? Um, and so the notion is to, to understand that this is all, you know, personable, right? It's, it's what may be, you know, alarming to my body may not be alarming to someone else, right? And I may misinterpret that and um, it's best to, to communicate that. So a little bit more of what my perceptions are were closed off energy by folding the arms, turning the body away, meaning, you know, that you're not, a, you know, the experience is not of the interest, um, walking fast is that you are, you're either upset or disappointed, right? I, I have to laugh because whenever um, a good friend of mine uh, is from New York and tends to walk really, really fast. And so <laughs> I used to say, hey, what's wrong? What is the issue here? And so what are you talking about? I'm just walking. And, you know, for me, that you know, what I had interpreted as, oh, I, I thought you were upset or something happened and you were just <laughs> trying to run off. Um, so, you know, um, my perception. And so the conversation had to be had to be had because I was like, what is happening? Um, I perceived it as something else. So tightening the jaw, glaring your eyes or shaking your head meant that I was a problem. Um, and so, you know, that is my perception of what those nonverbal cues mean and what my body perceives it as, right? And so kind of going back to what I was mentioning in the beginning is that, you know, it felt like I couldn't be myself or that I had to shrink because there was some sort of disappointment, right? So really what I want you to, what I invite you, excuse me, is, you know, as I start to bring this to a close here is really observe the nonverbal cues post-trauma, right? And we, we've all experienced some form of another and 
observe your body, right? The alarm systems within your body. And it can really tell you a lot about not just yourself, but the presence, as well as what memory has been stored within your nervous system. So understanding and communicating about someone's nonverbal cues can really support emotional awareness, right? That's why this is important, right? And so it can also build trust, okay? And the related intentions. What are the intentions in this experience? Why do I feel this way? You know, maybe having an awareness of what you feel um, or what you observe and bring it to the surface and begin to have a dialogue about it, right? Um, you know, if you're presented that opportunity, hopefully you are. It's also critical to know that nonverbal cues can have different meanings amongst other cultures. Really, really important. Okay. Not only other cultures, but the neurodivergent community, um, or excuse me, neurodiverse community, or others that may have challenges with other psychological um, conditions. Okay. And so it's important that we don't just assume. And um, again, be able to start communication if you're given that opportunity, but listen to your body, right? And kind of do a downward spiral um, is to think about what it is that you feel, right? What you have observed and to connect that with the first time that you felt that. Okay. And so I was able to do that within my therapy session. I won't share that here. Um, but, you know, maybe you can do that when you start to feel like you're not being yourself, you're not being authentic, start to see if you can trace that back to the first time uh, that you felt that way, right? What it is that you feel. Okay. What did you observe? What is it that you, um, that you, um, what do you feel? <laughs> what is it um, that you feel <laughs> that you felt? Oh my gosh, my goodness. I'm all tongue tied here. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna just start yelling out a whole yoga sequence. Anywho, um, <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, and you know, trace it back to the first time that you felt that way. Okay. So, I thank you for tuning in. Um, journal prompts, um, I'll call out, um, there's about five journal prompts. I am going to stick the journal prompts in the notes, but I do wanna call out uh, some of those, at least two. So, so that way you can ponder and it'll remind you to come back to this episode to make sure you uh, take, the, take the notes or download the PDF. I'm gonna include a PDF in the show notes. So what nonverbal cues, gestures, or facial expressions were demonstrated as trauma to you, right, for you, or a nonverbal cue or gesture or facial expression that translated unsafety, okay? What sensations in your body do you experience with someone who demonstrates these nonverbal cues or characteristics? 
So I just wanted to call out those two. That way you can kind of ponder. Maybe you start a conversation with a family member or a friend. Um, and then if not, you can always start communication on the YouTube channel or SoundCloud. So the quotes I'm going to leave you with is one that I just really struck me. It says, your body communicates as well as your mouth. Don't contradict yourself. That's by Alan Rudock. And then body language is very is a very powerful tool. We had body language before we had speech. Apparently, 80% of what we understand in conversation is read through the body and not the words by Deborah Bull. Wow. Very powerful. So I thank you so much for listening in and welcome back, right? And remember to live abundantly, love your authenticity, and radiate organic happiness. But most importantly, live a life of no more trauma. Namaste. Trauma-free. <laughs> Bye.